Thank you. Have a seat and welcome again on this wonderful Sunday morning where we're doing a series called Freedom. Um, as many of you know, um, I teach at Heritage College and Seminary, and um, one of the classes that I teach is called Christian Spiritual Disciplines. And um, it's, a, it's a first year, second year course at the most, and every new student that comes into the school has to take this course. And it's a course that, you know, teaching them all about Christian spiritual disciplines. And as many of you know, this time of year is Lent. You know, we're in the 40-day period preparing for Easter, okay? And um, in my Christian spiritual discipline class, um, students during the period of Lent, now Lent lasts 40 days, but I only make them do it for about 20 of those 40 days because of the way this semester is and all that kind of stuff. So, But for, you know, for a portion of Lent, the students have to do one of two things. One, they have to fast, okay? Um, they have to fast, and there's a, a list of things that they can fast from. Um, the second thing they have to do, they, and they have their choice of doing it, is they have to be silent for six hours a week. All they can do is pray or meditate, but they have to be silent for six hours a week. They can break it up in three two-hour segments if they want. And they have to journal every day you know, what it's like to you know, go through these particular Lent disciplines. Now, I, you know, in all, in all the courses that I teach, you know, in exams and papers and all that kind of stuff, the most threatening exercise for most of my students is being quiet for two hours at a time. I've yet to find out if any student's ever done the six-hour block in a week, but I guarantee you they break it up into three two-hour slots. And I'll tell you, if, you know, when, at the very beginning of the first class, when we're reading through the syllabus, when we're reading through what you have to do for the semester, there's, there's a deep pause when I get to that part of the syllabus because students know what, what's coming. So right now, there are students that are trying to be quiet for two hours at a time. Okay? Let me ask you, can you do it? Would you be able... You know, to do it. And at the end of the semester, you know, we get all the reports back. And, and without a doubt, it's one of the most commented aspects of the course. It's like, I was so, you know, afraid or just, you know, in a panic of doing this particular exercise. But in the end, majority of students find it incredibly valuable. Incredibly valuable. And here's, here's why it's incredibly valuable. Because... I, th I think there are two addictions that are being promoted within our culture. And, and the exercise, especially the exercise on silence and solitude and prayer and that, is, is countering these two addictions. The number one addiction um, is always on. So here are the two addictions um, on the next PowerPoint slide that it's bound to tell you. Um, thank you. Um, two cultural <laughs> addictions, always on and always faster. Right? Those are the two cultural addictions that we get promoted to. We're always on, you know. Try not checking your phone, okay? Um, try not, you know. Uh, by the way, I had, a few weeks ago, I had somebody ask me why, why everybody in our church was so rude, okay? Because of how many people have their phones on, 
Okay? I had, to, I, had to remind, I had to explain to them that we have U version, so people are doing their Bible notes on. So that's what I'm hoping you're all doing. <laughs> can, can, you know, don't make me a liar, okay? Please don't make me a liar. <laughs> okay? But, but, but I, I never thought of that. I just assumed everybody was on, on their notes, right? Okay? But we're always on. And it's always getting it done faster. It's like adopting more and more and more in our culture all the time. It's always on and always faster. And uh, I want to read a quote from Pew Research Group. I was on their website, you know, trying to get some statistics about everything that's going on in our culture. And I read this, and they didn't even quote the professor who said it. It was an anonymous, but they posted it on the Pew Research. And this is what the person said. He said, the technologies that 50 years ago we could only dream of in science fiction novels, which we then actually created with so much faith and hope in their power to unite us and make us freer, have been co-opted into tools of surveillance, behavioral manipulation, radicalization, and addiction. Isn't that a powerful quote? Things that 50 years ago we were dreaming as technologies to bring us together and make us freer and all that stuff have actually been co-opted for things that have actually enslaved us. And that's part of what we're talking about today. And I want, you know, and, and you know, some of you are going to know this, but I want to talk about some of the addiction outcomes right, right at the very beginning before we get into our passage. And many of you realize this, but I want to do this as a reminder. You know, one of the things that comes from our addictions is, number one, is the elevated stress disorders. There's all kinds of elevated stress disorders, right? An alarming increase in these disorders. And the thing is, it's not all ages. I'd love to say it's just an adult thing, but it's happening to our children as well. Our kids are being co-opted by the, by, you know, the addictions that our culture promotes. Uh, obesity, depression, anxiety, attention disorders, all kinds of learning disabilities, irritability, anxiety, like we said, headaches, insomnia, all of those things are being promoted with elevated stress disorders. There isn't a doctor in this planet that wouldn't say elevated stress is going to cause you some kind of problem. Here's another thing. Creates overstimulation and overscheduling. It's a vicious circle. It's exhausting trying to, to lead at the pace of life. Um, we're causing physical, emotional, and behavioral health problems. And we believe that we should be able to go this fast. And how many of you, if I don't get it all done in a day, you think something's wrong with you? Right? You know, all this overscheduling and overstimulation. Okay? Difficulty with attention and thinking. There's a lot of research going on right now about all this. Um, technological advances are supposed to free up creative thinking. But the mass of incoming information has actually eroded our ability to pay attention, our ability to even be creative. It's just hit us so hard. People have less time to reflect on anything. We want decisions now, and we want them to be the right decisions all the time. If somebody says, I have to think about it, it's like, what's wrong? Why do you have to pause? Why do you have to think, right? Multitasking stimulates internal chaos and fragment, fragmented attention. Here's the next thing. It diminishes, because of that, our capacity to learn and be, be productive. 
okay? It's always interrupt and diminish learning. Switching your attention reduces your efficiency and skill. You can't concentrate on anything. Ever heard of the word focus? Okay, you know, we, we have an inability to focus deeply on something. That's one of the reasons why, you know, books like Deep Work and all those are being very popular because they're talking about the inability for us to focus on a long period of time, that we can't think of anything in a very deep level. Everything is... is you know, which is the next point. We're, we're, we're called scanners and decoders. Okay? Um, we need, the need to be efficient and instant leads to dumbing down of information. And we become scanners and decoders of information cruising horizontally across the screen rather than delving deeper into understanding. You know, one of the things you've, you've heard me say, you know, we, we live in an incredible information age, but... Information is not necessarily wisdom, okay? It's what do you do with that information that's a real problem because we don't delve deeply into the things that, you know, we should. And, of course, the last thing, you know, there's a whole list of other things, but the last thing I want to talk about is relational struggles, all kinds of relational problems. This is probably the biggest cost. You know, we have an avoidance of person-to-person, direct-direct, People are, are quitting relationships over text. That's, that's hard to believe. At least in my generation, that, that was absolutely hard to believe. That was always a hard face-to-face conversation. Okay, but that's becoming more and more acceptable. In all, you know? And our sense of connection exists, no longer exists the way it used to be. Our sense of connection is that, you know, Facebook likes, Instagram likes, those kinds of things. But that's what's happening in our culture. Okay? So... Um, those are the problems with the, the, t- the two addictions that we're having in, in our culture. And I want to take us to a biblical story today. And because it's International Women's Day, I'm, I'm going to tell a story. We're going to look at a story out of, out of the Bible of two particular women, Mary and Martha. Okay? So here's a, here's a great story um, that Jesus interacting with Mary and Martha. Let me just read the story for you and we'll... Start to unpack this a little bit, okay? Luke 10, 38 to 42. As Jesus and the disciples continued on their way to Jerusalem, they came to a certain village where a woman named Martha welcomed Jesus into her home. Her sister Mary sat at the Lord's feet, listening to what he taught. But Martha was distracted by the big dinner she was preparing. She came to Jesus and said, Lord, doesn't it seem unfair to you that my sister just sits here while I do all the work. Now, if you didn't know this story, you would probably stop right here and say, yeah, that is unfair. Honestly. Right? If you're being brutally honest, everyone in this room is saying, of course that's being unfair. Why is she doing all the work? That's what I would have expected. Tell her, so she's talking to Jesus, tell her to come and help me. But the Lord said to her, my dear Martha, and by the way, notice the term of endearment from Jesus. My dear Martha, you are worried and upset over all these details. There is only one thing worth being concerned about. Mary has discovered it, and it will not be taken away from her. Now, if you know anything about Mary and Martha, you know, their story comes up 
uh, a number of times in the Bible. It's Mary and Martha, whose brother, uh, Pat, you know, I was going to say Zechariah, and I'm going, <laughs> that's the problem with teaching the Old Testament for as long as I've taught it. I, like, thank you. I had a moment. Um, and now it's on tape for, you know, for, did you see John had a moment? Right. That's going to be probably the most viewed segment of the entire sermon, right, right there. Okay, Lazarus, right? Mary and Martha and Lazarus and the raising of Lazarus, you know, and there's, there's um, a number, a, a few stories in the Bible that relate to these two women. Um, but Luke pulls this particular story out because it's, it's such an important story. And, and I think over time, um, it's kind of gotten distorted. Here's, here's what I think you have to know about the story. This is what the story is not about. It's not about promoting laziness. And it's not about, you know, how to serve properly or even about the nature of hospitality. This story is all about discipleship. It's all about what is important. It's all about, you know, having focus in the moment. It's all about being present. It's all about what it means to sit at the feet of Jesus. It's all about, if you're a believer here this morning, what does it mean to be a believer? What does it mean to, you know, focus on the things that are a priority in your life, that the Word of God is a priority in your life, that, the, you know, sitting at the feet of Jesus is a priority in your life, that that is so much important. And it's, and it's caught in this, in this kind of story of Mary and Martha, and, and you, you can't miss the detail that it's told in the context of hospitality because hospitality in that day and age is vitally important. In fact, you know, you have to, you have to understand that for Jesus to kind of walk into the house and not to be offered anything would have been insulting. That's how important hospitality is. And the other disciples, and this is a story about discipleship, that Jesus begins to teach and it's like, okay, what's the most important thing you should be doing right now? Listening or working? Because it's always going to be there. How many of you recognize that the work is always going to be there? Yeah. Yeah. We joke as a staff, this ain't going away. But every week, it just seems the list gets longer and longer and longer. And for many of you, you've got something in your life that's such a priority in your life, but it continues to take a back seat because this urgent stuff keeps coming up and pushing the important stuff out of the way. And for Mary and Martha, there's, there's this kind of a tug of, tug of war. One is about duty, getting it done. And notice that Jesus doesn't really speak against her wanting to do hospitality. It's not a hospitality is a bad thing. But he's talking about the priority of the moment, the necessity to focus on what's important in the moment. And that, you know, is where, you know, Jesus wants to kind of teach a lesson for each and every one of us. Okay? It's a very simple story. But if we get caught up in, in, in the hospitality portion of it, if we get caught up in, in who was right, Mary or Martha, you know, in the way that Jesus answered it, you know, all those kinds of details. But it is about discipleship. It is about, you know, focusing our priorities in a very important way. And I want to I just go through 
the lessons that this particular story teaches us and to put it in a modern context because it's so vitally important. Um, I'll, I'll tell you, I'm, I'm just as guilty as, as the rest of you of running at 100 miles an hour and always switching the, the phone on, okay? It's, it's just the two addictions, um, you know, and it's even worse for me because, you know, um, uh, when, when even before smartphones, we had Blackberries, right? We used to call them crackberries, okay, because it was like a form of crack, right? Because the blackberry intentionally, you know, had the, the little vibration or the little beep to make you aware, okay? And, and uh, um, you know, I had somebody in our church that, that ran a deal, uh, 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 you know, a Rogers outlet and actually gave me a crackberry. And, and, and I, I realized afterwards it was so he could always get a hold of me. Okay, I was going for a class in Chicago, and on, on you know on the way out, he says, "Here, I got a gift for you." And it's like, so the whole trip to Chicago is like, <laughs> you know, what's going on, right? You know, all all the way, and I, you know, it became the first the first addiction, you know, because you used to wear it on your hip in those days, and it's like every, you would always feel it. In fact, you'd have a phantom. Have you ever got a phantom buzz on your hip? Right? That's how bad it is. Even your body is starting to go, where's your phone? Where's your phone? Where's your phone? Right? <laughs> yeah. You know, be driving away and like, oh, I left it at home. I got to drive back and I'm 600 miles away. You know? Um, anyway, but, but, but that's, that's where we are today. Okay? Uh, so here are the lessons that come out of this particular story because it's, it's that simple a story, but it's got this many powerful lessons for us. Sometimes to stop, rest, and listen is more important than doing. Sometimes to stop, rest, and listen. That's what Jesus is teaching Martha. Mary knows that it's more important right now to stop, to rest, and to listen. And, you know, and we put it in, in, in that order, okay? Um, because many of us will even shut off our devices and we're not really listening. Okay? Um, you know, I, I thought it was, I don't know how, how long ago I remember hearing, you, you know, um, most of us listen because we're formulating an answer in our minds already, right? You know, so, so now I'm trying to consciously say, you know, be a blank slate, be a blank slate. And as a guy, that's pretty easy. You know, guys are good at being a blank slate. Like, what are you thinking about? Nothing. Okay. Well, I don't, why don't women believe us when we say nothing, right? <laughs> okay. But we're actually thinking about nothing. Okay. So you know, try to be a blank, blank slate, but like listen. And, and this is what Jesus is prompting. It's, so, it's more important to hear what I am teaching right here in the moment. And, you know, that's a, that's, a, that's a practical lesson. Sometimes we're so busy and we get caught up in a situation that we miss what God is trying to teach us in the moment because we're so busy trying to fix something. How many of us miss the voice of God in our lives because we're running around and we never stop and listen? That is the one of the things that my students are saying about this exercise that, that they're doing is that, you know, for the... For the at, at first, it starts being about, what am I going to tell God? What am I going to tell him? But they said, over time, it becomes this total different situation where now I'm spending more time hearing from God. 
and listening. And in the silence, realize that God is trying to tell me something, that I feel it within my spirit, that God is, God is you know, and, and I realize that I've been doing things or I've been too busy or I haven't heard God properly or something I'm, pro- I'm prompted about. I've been able to fix relationships. I've had all kinds of students, you know, write in their journals about the things that they're learning about what God is teaching them in the moment. But that's not always the case when we're going always faster and we're always on. Sometimes, and, and, it's, and I think it's a wise person who's able to discern that sometimes it's okay. For those of you that have young kids, you know that's really important. There are times that you have to just stop and listen and hear what they're saying. That's not always easy. That's a life skill that when, when you, you know, develop really well, you'll find that people love being around you because they feel like they're really heard. Here's number two. The enemies of growth are distraction and anxiety. Isn't, isn't that true? Right? If we're, you know, one, again, through that exercise, okay, what is Martha missing of what Jesus is trying to teach her in that moment? Okay, what if Jesus just wants her to pause? Because maybe Jesus knows that she's all about doing, okay, and not about listening. That maybe in in, in that moment, Jesus is trying to say, listen, you're so distracted. And And he says that to her. You're so distracted. You're so caught up in worries, you know. And how many of you recognize that in your lives, you are so so concerned about life, and when we're so concerned about life, and we're not listening to God, what we're doing is trying to fix things ourselves, where God is saying, why don't you just give it to me, and I'll handle it, and I'll take care of it. But we're always trying to fix it, okay? We're always trying to to say, I've got this, I can manage this, or I'm okay with this. Right? We're very, we're very self-reliant. And a lot of times in those moments, God is trying to say, just give it to me. I'm going to do something in your life that you're not going to be able to do on your own because I've got this. See, there's many things that you try to manage in your life that, you know, you can only take it so far. God is able to take it much farther than you're going to ever be able to take it. But we get so, you know, caught up in the distractions of, of what it is and caught up in the anxiety of it all, okay? One of the, one of the, one of the disciplines that, that's been life-changing for me is, you know, getting to, into the office at 7 o'clock every morning and having that hour of just reading the Bible, praying, and, and that every day. I've been able to pray for many of you in this congregation, and, and it's just something I do before anybody else is even in the building. And it's just, it's just a, an incredible way to start the day. Okay? And many of you start, start the day, whatever, and it just alleviates the whole anxiety, the whole I've got to do it all, all that kind of stuff. Here's number three. Overcommitment leads to surface living. How many, I just heard a bunch of groans, okay? Don't you want to go deeper? Don't don't you want to, 
live at a deeper level, a deeper, you know, expression of joy. Um, I just, you know, we're so overcommitted, you know. Um, you know, relationships, at least for me, is, is there's, there's so many people I would love to connect to that I just can't. That's what breaks my heart the most. In fact, my, my no, I'm just going to say if I retire, I'm never going to retire. That's the problem. I was going to say in my retirement years, I'm hoping to just, you know, connect with, every day connect with people, but I don't know if I'll ever be able to retire. So um, I just, but overcommitment, you know, leads to surface living, and, and we all know that, okay? We just can't go deeper. There's so many things you would love to do at a deeper level, but you can't. Here's number four. Overcommitment dampens our ability to be present. You know, we are so distracted, and again, this repeats the whole thing. How many times are we in front of a person, it's like the phone goes off or the thing bips, and you have to look at it while you're talking to them. That's such a bad habit that we all have, okay? But, you, you know, it, it just, and it's, all, and it's become expected. I know there's other people that say, no, take, you know, um, I have people in my office, and my phone's going off, and, and I know who it is, and I'm just ignoring it. And they're saying, you can take that if you want, how many of you have had, have had that? You know, you can take that if you want, right? And I just say, no. You know, I, I don't always say it. I don't always get it right. But it's like I'll, sometimes I like to say, no, you're too important. That can wait. That can wait. We're not able to be present. Not able to be present, right? I told you. I told you a long time ago. You know, and now is a second time grandfather, right? Um, you know, when my five-year-old grandson said, Papu, can you play with me? Those are like some of the most important words, you know. And when he says, you know, can you play with me? You know, my hope is that I drop everything and I go play with him. Okay? You know why? He can't focus for a long period of time, so ain't, no, it ain't going to be long anyway. <laughs> right? Can we just, you, you know... He's off to something else, right? All that kind of stuff. You throw all the Lego in the middle of the room, he's going to be off on his own in no time. But if I had said no at the very beginning, what do you think would have happened? Okay? He'd cry, yeah. And you don't want him crying, right? You know, of the few times I've had to say no, I had to really explain it to him and say, listen, later in the day, at this time, we can do it. And it makes a big difference, Okay? But it's such an ability to be present in people's lives. Okay, here's the, here's the next point. Good things can become bad things when they distract from the best thing. Okay, that's, that's the heart of this particular story, by the way. Right? It wasn't that, that um, you know, Martha was doing a bad thing. It was a good thing. Okay? But because of the way it was distracting her, because of the worries it was causing in her life, you know, it turned a good thing into a bad thing, okay, that distracted her from the best thing. And the best thing in our lives is Jesus. And the best thing for Martha and Mary in that moment was Jesus. And Jesus alluded to that, you know. Mary knows what is the best thing right now. And I'm not going to tell her to come and help you because, Martha, you need to come and sit where Mary is. That's what that's talking about. Okay, here's number six. There's a difference between opening your home and opening your heart. 
There's a difference between opening your home and opening up your heart. Okay? Martha may have opened up her home, but she didn't necessarily open up her heart in the moment. And Jesus is recognizing that. And Mary had opened up her heart to the teachings of Jesus. Right? And who knows? Mary probably said, you know, when Jesus says it's okay and we're done listening, we're probably all going to be hungry. We're going to get up and help you then. Don't worry about it. Don't worry about it. Okay? Here's, here's the freedom quote from this particular story. Okay? How you avoid the speed trap. As pressure increases, our ability to nurture the one thing decreases. That's what this story is all about. As, you know, as the pressure increases in our lives, our ability to nurture the one thing decreases. How many of you know that when you get squeezed out in your life, how many of you stop reading your Bible, stop praying, stop, you know, being with other believers, stop all kinds of stuff, okay? The more we overschedule, the more we overcommit, the more we overstimulate, the more, you know, we, those things start having a life of their own. And the truth of the matter is it's a form of addiction. And it pulls us away from the things that are vitally important in our lives. It pulls us away from, you know, um, I'm, church. Can I, can I, you know, close out by talking about church? It is so easy to get so overcommitted and so overscheduled in that that things like church start to become unimportant. And, le- and let me tell you, um, as much as I want to infuse a, a, a sense of guilt in you this morning, I'm not going to do that. <laughs> or, or I don't want to, as, as easy as it might be, to infuse a sense of guilt. But here's what I know as a pastor. I know that there are certain things that, you know, there are times that people come to me and say, uh, I've gotten involved or I'm starting this or our kids are this. And in the back of my mind, I'm saying, I've seen this pattern so many times. I know, this, where this is, I know where this is going. And you don't have to be a prophet. You don't have to look into the future in any kind of a crystal ball of any kind. And not that I endorse that in any way or shape or form. But, but you know, over the, over the years I've been a pastor, you know where it's going to lead. Suddenly, the overscheduling, the overcommitting, the over whatever starts pulling you away from church starts pulling you away from study, starts pulling you away from life groups, starts pulling you away in all kinds of things. And the next thing you know, you're starting to feel that your soul is empty. You're starting to feel like something is happening in your life. You're starting to feel that there's, there isn't this kind of spiritual connection between you and God. And you're wondering why. And you can even be really busy in the church, too. And you might be able to say, well, God, I'm doing all this stuff for you, but but why is it that I'm not hearing from you anymore? And all of us have experienced that to one degree or another. And some of you are sitting here right now going, but if you knew the responsibilities I have, if you knew what maximizes my, if you knew what I'm running, if you knew what I'm in charge of, if you know what I'm responsible of, you know what, and I, I get that. But the reality is, is Jesus is calling to you right now to reassess your life and is asking you, what are you addicted to over and above me? Is there a part of 
your life that you have totally jettisoned in your relationship with me because you're overscheduled, you're overcommitted, you're overstimulated, and it's become a problem in your life. And like Martha, it's all about doing, but it's not just about being present with me. It sounds nice, you know, it fulfills some kind of satisfaction in our lives. But the reality is, Jesus appealed to Martha to think of the one thing. And the one thing was relationship with Jesus. And the one thing was Jesus teaching in the moment. I don't know about you, but as a pastor of many years, if I could go back in a time machine and just spend five minutes Jesus teaching me, wouldn't you? <laughs> Man, even, and I'll tell you this, even if it said you're not going to be able to come back, in fact, that's the end of your life, but you can end it by got five minutes of Jesus teaching, I'm in. I'm in. Because I know for those five minutes of face-to-face teaching with Jesus would be worth everything in the world. What is it that's got you, like, in the speed trap? in the freedom trap. I know you have a lot of responsibilities. You know, I, I know I'm going to get all kinds of emails about, you know, I'm, I'm carrying such a weight in that. But let me ask you, is there more space in your life for Jesus? Let's pray. Father, thank you for this wonderful story of Mary and Martha taught in the context of hospitality a discipline that was so, so important in that day and age. And yet here's Jesus in the very present rebuking Martha for being concerned with something that really wasn't that important in the moment and seeing that Mary recognized it. And Lord, it's such a, it, it's such a lesson for us today in the world that we live in and the distractions and the things that pull us away. And I think for many of us, if we're brutally honest, there is moments in our lives where we need to just stop, rest, and listen. What a difference it would make in our relationship with Jesus. What a difference it would make with our relationship with others. So Lord, as we continue to learn about those things that enslave us in our lives. Give us and remind us of the freedom that we have in Christ to live whole, to live forgiven, and to live joyful lives because we're not being caught in the traps that the culture is bringing our way. So we thank you in the mighty name of Jesus Christ, our Lord. Amen.